Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode number 38. In this episode, we'll be discussing the all-important concept of an economic moat. Now, creating a business is probably the best way to make money and have a long-term sustainable income, but it's not easy. To create, maintain, sustain, and run a business, you need to put in a lot of hard work, and the statistics are actually against you. More than 70% of businesses fail in the first five years. But if you're up for a challenge, it's well worth it. Just have a look at Australia's BRW Rich List. There are many business people who made their money by building great businesses. You won't find anyone there who's just had a 9-to-5 employee position. You see, having a 9-to-5 employee position gives you job security and income security. But creating a business is probably the best way to create wealth, but it has its inherent risks associated with it and doesn't have job or income security. So when it comes to businesses, what gives some businesses the edge compared to others? This brings about the all-important concept of an economic moat. Now, for anyone that's been listening to my podcast channel, um, basically, the podcast channel is designed to teach you and learn about economic concepts and personal finance concepts, which you can use in your own personal life. And the premise of this podcast, the main motto of this, is to save money. How much? Pay yourself 20% of after-tax income, save it, set it, forget it, and invest it, and reinvest the dividends for the long term. Now, before we proceed to the main topic of the economic moat concept, I read an article on MSN Money, and the ASX Investor Study was mentioned in it, which was conducted in 2017. And I was actually quite shocked by the results. So here are the stats. Just 31% of women invest in shares, and just 44% of men invest in shares. Why is this? Most people find the share market scary and perhaps confusing. You don't need a business suit to start investing. You don't have to be rich to start investing in shares. Look at all the previous podcasts that I've created on types of investing, active versus passive. Anyone can do it. It's really easy. And in fact, in today's world, investing is so easy that you can do it all online. You don't need a brokerage account even. You can do it through index funds. Um, and the cost of investing and the accessibility to investing is extremely easy and low cost. Now, when you think about it, we're all investors in one way or another. We invest in our education, we invest in our personal life, we invest in our family, we invest in our friendships, we invest in our relationships, we invest in our partners, our children, etc., etc. But financially, we also are investors in shares in one way or another because via superannuation. I've spoken about superannuation in Australia in the past for all the overseas listeners. It's basically a retirement account, which is compulsory for employees in Australia. And you can actually pay yourself super if you're self-employed or have a business. So check your superannuation statements, check the fees, and make sure you know how much your investments are actually earning, hopefully earning, or losing, hopefully not losing. Now, 
small amounts of spare cash invested consistently makes a big difference. And that's one of the ASX Investor Study's main point. Start early, learn the concepts, and do it consistently for the long term because the power of compounding is simply amazing. You don't need a stockbroker, uh, but you may need a brokerage firm depending on the types of shares or investments you want to buy. And diversification is the only free lunch in the stock market investing business. Now, this channel is created for those who wish to learn about personal finance and investing. So if you have any questions, remember, don't hesitate to comment, Facebook or contact me, and I will do what I can to try and help you or try and find the information and point you in the right direction. I'm not a financial advisor, so they say financial advice, you get what you pay for. So be aware that this is just for entertainment purposes, but hopefully you've learned something and you've learned these concepts in your own personal life that you can apply on a daily basis. I'm learning all the time as well. So coming back to the main topic of today, what is an economic moat? To understand it, we need to really understand historically what is a moat. A moat, by definition, is a deep, wide ditch surrounding a castle, fort or town, typically filled with water and intended as a defence against attack. So it's kind of like, you know, Shrek. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a big castle. It's surrounded by water, surrounded by, you know, maybe crocodiles. Um, and you see it in um, sort of cartoons as well about this sort of castle surrounded by this sort of defence mechanism of water, perhaps some alligators, and has a bridge over it, which can be retracted. The aim of this ditch is to protect the castle, its inhabitants, their riches, and slow down the attacks. It has a defensive component, and it also has an offensive component. So using that in mind, what is an economic moat? In other words, what is an economic ditch? What gives businesses the advantages offensively and defensively? Now, Warren Buffett was one of the first people to popularize the term economic moat. It refers to a business's ability to maintain a competitive advantage over its competitors in order to protect its long-term profits. It allows businesses to maintain market share over the long term. So, an economic moat is a defense or an offensive strategy for a business to protect its long-term interests. And the economic moat is most useful for a business to enable it to outperform the competitors and their profits. It all sounds very professional, very gobbledygook, but it's a really important concept for you to master or try to master or at least understand because I'm going to link it to investing. So, when it comes to investing in your own life, all you need to do is identify companies that have good, strong moats. Easier said than done. This is exactly what long-term investors and successful investors internationally do, such as Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch, and Ray Dalio. And they do it very, very well. In my view, I don't think I'm that good at investing. So I'm not going to be able to stock pick. I'm not going to be able to you know, pick the right companies because you know I'm not a Warren Buffett. I'm just an average doctor trying to make do, working my job, treating patients, and trying to do the best for the patients that I can. But having said that, we know from past podcasts and past evidence that I've discussed, investments can be active or passive. So when you're choosing a company with a good economic moat, you're actually choosing an active investing process. I don't actively invest. I just passively invest. I pick an index fund and I keep investing every single month and then that just grows over time because I know that over the long term, 30 to 40 years, the money that I put in today will most likely be worth more and during that 30 to 40 years, 
I'm going to earn a yield on it, that is a dividend, which I'm going to reinvest because that's going to be the way that I'm going to retire. That's going to be my retirement plan. So I don't really worry too much about economic moats, but this podcast may uh, be useful to those people that are really interested in active investing and trying to identify companies that have really, really strong economic moats. So, um, so again, the concept of an economic moat is useful for active investors who look for good businesses to invest in for the long term and reap part of the profits in the form of dividends. And hopefully over their time, the value of the company and the shares also increases. If you can identify companies with strong economic moats, you're well on your way to becoming a successful investor and likely a multi-millionaire. But there's a problem. Companies often don't maintain their economic moats forever. And one of the basic tenets of modern economics, for example, is that a competitive advantage for a business is slowly eroded over time. So why is that? Why don't companies maintain a competitive advantage over the very long term? So, if you have a business with a strong moat, this results in boosted profits, and very quickly, your competitors start emulating your success and attempting to erode into your profits. This is what happens in real life, even in people's personal lives. So let me give you an example. If your neighbor does something which is within the law and is hugely advantageous for his life and financially, and you think it would be for yourself and you find out about it, you're likely to copy him or her and provided that you can easily do so. And as a result, you will reap the same advantageous financials um, uh, advantages that your neighbor has, and you'll reap that as well. So your the neighbor's competitive advantage, if there is a competition, is then eroded because you've now found out about the process and you're basically uh, emulating the same process. So businesses then start duplicating your process um, and then they start making profits, which means your overall profit decreases. So that's why economic moats don't last a lifetime. This is kind of what happened back in 2007 when Apple released the world's first smartphone. I still remember that moment when Steve Jobs got up there and he revolutionized the smartphone industry and literally created an app industry on its own. This maintained a huge customer base initially and maintained a huge competitive advantage. Apple were just simply way ahead in terms of their thinking, technology, design, and market share. But look at today. Over time, almost every phone manufacturer has copied the success of Apple and some even exceeded Apple's success. Samsung is a good example in terms of technology and design, and over time, they've eroded into Apple's profits. Now, don't get me wrong, Apple still maintains huge market share. They have lost some of it over time, but they still make huge profits. However, more than some you know, um, small countries, perhaps, however, those profits are increasing over time, but they would have been massively increased if they'd maintained the competitive advantage long term. So not to say that Apple is a bad company or a unprofitable company. I'm just saying that they probably are less profitable today than they probably would have been had they maintained their entire competitive advantage over the last sort of 10 or 12 years. So using a more simple example of how competitive advantage counts, um, but it can also be duplicated, is a sausage sizzle example. So you decide to open a sausage sizzle. That's your you know, business that you want to do. You get a low cost advantage because you buy sausages in bulk. You know the supplier, they're going to give it to you at a discount, which means you can sell sausages and sausage sizzles 
at a huge discount compared to your competitors. You maintain a profit advantage, a competitive advantage, and you do very, very well. Over time and very soon, your competitors start realizing, well, this person is getting their sausages at half the price as we are. How can we emulate that? They start realizing that and start researching where they can buy sausages in bulk and they too start getting a low cost advantage. So over time, your profits settle back down and the local sausage sizzle industry will return to normal conditions again. That's how the basic tenets of modern economics works and that's how an economic moat, particularly in this case called a low cost advantage, can be eroded over time. Now, Here's another way, though, if you're in that situation, you can actually extend or maintain a strong moat using the same sausage sizzle example. So, supposing you start a sausage sizzle business, you sell sausages, you buy sausages in big, big bulks and get massive discounts and you're doing very well, and then your competitors start realizing that and they want to emulate your business success. But then you develop an automated machine which cooks your sausages beautifully, faster, more sausages per unit time, more evenly, which means you get a better customer satisfaction, and which means you can cook more sausages per unit time, and then you patent this technology, which means other businesses can't use the technology, or they have to pay you to license the technology, and other businesses can't easily copy that technology. This means your competitive advantage is doubled. You not only have a low-cost advantage, but you also have an advantage of a patented technology, which means your overall competitive advantage is maintained and protected by your patent. So in this example, your economic moat is not only the low-cost advantage, but also the patent which you hold for the machine. That's how economic moats can make or break a business. So... Let's go into a little bit more detail about the um, uh, different types of um, economic moats that are available. Uh, We've already discussed one major type of economic moat, and that is the low-cost advantage. So in this particular patent example, your company will then have a sustained boosted profits due to the low cost and more turnover of sausages, and due to patent laws in Australia, I think it's 10 years, Uh, your boosted uh, profits are likely to outperform your competitors over the long term. So what are the subtypes of economic moats available for companies to maintain a solid competitive advantage in the long term? Cost advantage, we've discussed this already in the above sausage sizzle example. If you can buy ingredients or products or raw materials at a significant cost advantage to your customers and competitors, this is called cost advantage, which is a type of economic moat. Businesses with cost advantages can significantly undercut the prices of any competitor that attempts to move into their industry and either forcing the competitor out of business or keeping them at bay in their own environment. Now, you're a customer, you go to a shop, you go to a different shop, you go to a different shop, you're going to go to the shop with the lowest price with the best product available. So if you can maintain that low cost advantage, that is to your significant advantage as a business. Now, um, look what's happening in countries like China, to use an example. Their raw materials, their labor costs are significantly lower than ours, which means businesses in China and other low-cost countries have a significant cost advantage and an economic moat compared to Australia. This is a whole controversy now in America with the Trump tariffs, which ironically the American consumers will end up paying and not the Chinese businesses 
But the aim of it, if it works, is to artificially make the local businesses in America more competitive by applying tariffs to the imports from China when compared to businesses overseas and China. The other type of subtype uh, of economic moat, number two, is size advantage. This is called economies of scale in other terms. Being big can sometimes be a huge advantage. If the company is large enough, they achieve economies of scale, which just means more units of goods can be produced at a much larger scale or faster rate to much lower costs. A good example is what's happened in the battery industry. Before Tesla, for car and electric car industry, lithium-ion batteries were not used in cars. So now since their battery um, are factored into their cars, they have brought the cost of lithium-ion batteries used in cars to a much cheaper cost. And they're trying to drive it even lower to achieve economies of scale such that mass, mass market battery operated electric cars can be more widespread. It's slowly working. It's taking some time. It's taking them about 10 years. But Tesla has done a great job in making mass market electric cars more viable uh, and so much more viable that other major manufacturers are now taking serious note. And I think if I'm not mistaken, almost all of the major manufacturers are started to release electric cars or, or have promised to release electric car models in the next five years. Creating economies of scale means lower financing costs, lower ad costs, low labor costs and more profits. This just means competitors can squeeze out of the market into more niche markets. Another subtype of economic moat, number three, is high switching costs. Nowhere is this more obvious than in today's smartphone market, Android versus Apple. Both have their own ecosystems, both have watches, both have their own software, both have their own hardware and integrations. So if you're heavily into one type, Apple or Android, you're less likely to switch. Apple is probably the most famous for this. They suck in their customers and then build an ecosystem around it. iTunes, iWatch, iPhone, iPad, MacBooks. So their customers will find it much harder to simply switch over to another brand or type of software. I've got friends and colleagues, uh, doctors, who are just absolute Apple fanboys and girls. They do not want to switch. They love it. They get all the smartphones, all the brand new phones, spend thousands of dollars. In my opinion, it's just a complete waste of money because I'd be investing all that money if I was them. But anyway, they do it because they absolutely love the ecosystem. And it's just very difficult for them to change it, even if they wanted to. So Apple and Android are very good examples of high switching costs as a good economic moat. So imagine trying to compete with them in this phone market in today's world. It just isn't happening. These two big fish will gobble you up if you try it and squeeze you out of the market. Microsoft is a good example, and Nokia had their own software at one stage, and who can forget the famous BlackBerry? Once upon a time, can anyone actually remember Blackberries? They're actually quite famous. If customers can't or don't or less likely to switch, this means the suppliers who deal with big companies are less likely to switch as well. So this gives the big companies a high switching cost advantage, a type of economic moat. Subtype four is called intangibles. And we, we discussed this briefly before in the sausage sizzle example where patent technology which churns out sausages which are beautifully cooked compared to your competitors. So things like patents, brand recognition, government licenses, contracts and good examples of intangible economic moats which are very difficult to quantify but have a huge qualitative benefit for the business. Nike, Apple, Samsung all charge a premium for their products simply because of the brand. 
Many clothing and fashion lines have a huge brand advantage, despite their product being made for pittance overseas. I know people who buy Apple and won't switch because it's Apple. Similarly, I know people that will only buy Mercedes-Benz cars or BMWs or Audis. All have premium brand economic moats and customers just love them. Subtype number five is called soft moats. This is pretty hard to quantify, but it's more of a qualitative thing. Uh, This is when a management style of a company might be superior to other companies and businesses. That's very difficult, though, to identify and very difficult to quantify. Again, there's something about Bill Gates that's done an excellent management style for Microsoft that's made Microsoft the global dominator in software over many, many years. Okay, there's something about Sergey Brin and Larry Page and Sundar, uh, Sundar uh, Pichai, who's, uh, who's the uh, CEO of Google. There's something about these guys. They have a management style that they can offer to that company, which is intangible, and that's called a soft economic moat. A company with good management will always do well. And that's one of the things that Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett actually look at when they invest. They not only look at the numbers, but they look at the management style. If they're managing the company well, then they're more likely to actually make a lot of money and you know, earn profits and dividends for the investor. So uh, you know, a good management style, a good company will have good management that has a good structure, good policies, good procedures, which are second to none. We see this in all sorts of businesses and certainly in the health industry. You know, some hospitals, some surgical or medical practices are far superior to others. That's not to say that the doctors and nurses that work in all these other practices or hospitals are just bad. It just means The hospitals and medical practices and surgical practices that are well run tend to attract doctors and tend to attract doctors who then perform really well because they just make their lives a lot easier. I've worked in hospitals, big hospitals in Melbourne, who are just shambles in terms of trying to get even a CT scan done. But then I've worked at other rural places. It's just extremely well run because you can get scans done quickly. You can get pathology results quickly. Things are more efficient. Um, whereas, you know, in some other bigger hospitals, um, things are also efficient, but, you know, just not up to scratch. So nowhere is the, uh, you know, the, the, the example of a soft moat uh, more obvious is um, than the health industry, in, in my humble opinion, because I've sort of in the health industry and I've sort of seen and worked at probably around 15 to 16 different hospitals in my career so far. And I can see the huge difference in terms of, you know, the different types of hospitals and how they're run and how easy it is to work in some hospitals and other practices, uh, medical or surgical, as opposed to um, uh, some of the other hospitals that are just horrendously difficult to work at. So, if you're an investor and you want to create a business, you may want to consider some of these economic moats um, and uh, basically create a business or invest in a business if they have almost all of these economic moats then you're likely to do well in the future. Now, it's going to be difficult to fund a company that has everything in it. But yeah, there are some major companies out there that that have most of these economic moats in it. And you can see why they're excellent investors. But here's the kicker. It's difficult to identify the economic moat in the early stage of the business or a company. Usually these are identified in hindsight. Warren Buffett, 
has mastered this trick. Obviously, this is the key to his investing prowess. And finally, if you're an investor, don't just identify economic moats, but assess its longevity. So not only is an economic moat important, you need to make sure that it lasts for a long time so that your profits and the business does well in the long term. The longer the moat is going to last, the more profits the business is going to generate. And as an investor, that is you, the more money you're going to make. More dividends you're going to make, more return on investment you're going to make. Economic moats can also be attributable to individuals. Certain individuals, and this is kind of like soft moats, I guess, in a way, are simply stars in their profession. That's their moat. And as a result, they command high salaries, they exploit it, and they, you know, work well in businesses and make businesses succeed on a large whole. Um, so, in summary, we've talked about what is a moat. We've talked about how it applies to economics and finances. So, what is an economic moat? We've talked about the types of economic moats. And identifying these in a business will help your investing life and help you grow your investments, profits, and business interests. And, of course, help you create that perfect business that you can build up, see it grow, see it flourish, and hopefully one day sell it off and make loads of money out of it. Um, now, we've talked about um, investments and profits and business interests. We've talked about moats that are hard to identify. So because it's really hard to identify a moat in a company in its infancy. Uh, and moats are usually retrospectively identified. And that's the challenge. You need to have the investing prowess to be able to identify these companies with good moats. Um, and moats can be attributed to individuals as well as businesses. And most importantly, apart from a moat, you need to assess the longevity of the moat. That's really, really important, uh, as well as the type of economic moat. So thanks, everyone, for listening. As you know, this is Devaraka Personal Finance. The motto of this financial podcast channel is for you to learn about financial concepts and principles to ensure that you can apply them in your personal life. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, thanks for all the support and thanks for all those Facebook comments and messages that I get. I get a far more private messages than I do in comments, which is completely fine because, you know, it's a personal um, space and you don't want to be, you know, discussing your personal finances in an online forum. But, um, you know, happy to help as much as I possibly can. Just remember, I'm not a financial advisor, so this is for entertainment purposes only. So, you know, if you want real financial advice, um, then basically go consult a financial planner or an advisor. So, what's your moat? Have you thought about it? It's really important, and I'm sure you have it. What makes you so special? Or your business so special? Such that it gives you and your business a competitive advantage. Until next time, this is Dev Raga Personal Finance. Stay safe, and thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.